0: The uh, scripture reading today is from Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 through 16. And it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven.
1: We have been um, in a series called Beacon of Life. And if you are new to us, we're a new church. Uh, We are kind of in soft launch mode and... This is sort of the first of three series that's prepping this group, this body of people. I, I know I'm kind of, I've been sick, guys. This isn't the way I normally sound. Um, but um, and all the messages have been based on, on this word. What does it mean to be light? What does it mean to be salty? And I, I know some of you, if you've heard this multiple times, but I want to just emphasize this. If you are, um, what is salt? And in the first century, Salt is the difference between life and death because there's no refrigerators, there's no preservatives. This is the preservative. This is what preserves what we need to live. And so if you don't have salt, you won't have enough food to make it through winter and people will literally die. I mean, your food will rot and you won't make it. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Will his people be the difference between life and in death in a place where there's a lot of death? Will they be light where people are in darkness and falling down and, um, and, and, and hurting? And uh, we've been going through uh, various, so we don't just figure this out ourselves. Jesus told us what it's like. And, you know, um, we've been going through this very famous set of passages called the Beatitudes. And here are some of the words that, that we have covered of what it means to, what does it look like to be salty in this time? And so they go like this. Um, same chapter, verse five, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Strange. How do you be salty? You start off by being poor inside, recognizing your poor. It's, it's completely the opposite of, of our city in this place in Silicon Valley. We have to be rich inside and out, but actually will you be first deeply human and understand that you're poor in spirit? Uh, blessed are those who mourn. I hope if you remember that message, I said, for theirs, <clears throat> for they shall be comforted. And there's so many places in which there's tears in our life. In fact, life is less laughter and success upon success. It's actually got a lot of tears. That is a lot of life, All right? Um. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Remember this question I asked you. Do you not just want righteousness and justice, but do you hunger for it? Do you thirst for it? In the middle of a hot afternoon, that's 95 degrees, you're thirsty, you want... I mean, if you're like, if I don't get something to drink, and so you, you, know, you pull your car over and you drive into 7-Eleven and you waste money... Um, because you're thirsty, but are you like that in your soul for righteousness, for justice? There are many who cry out for righteousness and justice. Will we be that kind of people? Um, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know that we, this is the first piece of knowledge before God. We need mercy. We actually deserve condemnation and rejection and exclusion from the presence and the kingdom the family of God. Instead, through Jesus, he's given us mercy. And the one that I, we talked about last week, blessed are the peacemakers, the shalom makers, as I said. For peace is more than just getting along with people. It's, it's wholeness. It's flourishing. It's completion. It's, it's, uh, it's when we don't have half a cup, but it's overflowing, as, uh, as Psalm chapter 23 says. Um, these are some of the ways that we long... Um, to be the kind of church that we think this place really needs. Um, now, with all that said, so that's actually the end of the sermon, guys. <laughs> all right? Can you believe it? Because today we're not going to have your, our typical sermon. What we're going to do is we're going to do something a little different. Um, you see these two chairs up here. We're going to have, we have a special guest. And what we want to do is in each of these uh, sermon series, what we want to have is something special um, as a preparation to become revived Church here in, you know, in the Sunnyvale, Santa Clara, Silicon Valley. You know, it's right here in the, we're right in the middle of Silicon Valley here. And um, so I want to introduce a special guest. And really what we're going to do is we're going to have, I'm going to interview him. I'll introduce him to you and then I'm going to interview him. And hopefully on this interview, you're going to learn something and, and God will open up ways that you could be a shalom maker, that you could be a person that brings poor in spirit and bring and pours forth mercy into our community. And so um, we, we want to invite you into like open your mind and, and, and a possibility. And so this guest, we, I just, uh, well, the Lord kind of handed them to us. Like the Lord, when I met him and he, well, he actually asked, to meet, he asked me to meet him. And then when we discussed he we discussed for coffee, I was like, this is it. Okay. And so, um, I didn't have to be that smart. And so, um, so let me introduce our guest. And so today really is, it isn't like a sermon, but it's kind of like an application or, 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 or possible applications or uh, invitations to live out all the things that we've been hearing in God's word over the last few weeks. Okay. And so let me introduce our guest. Our guest today is, um, Jim Aslin, and, um, Jim is an elder right here at Trinity Church of Sunnyvale, and he, he's a long-time um, you know, native of this place. Um, but Jim, I mean, I can't, well, can't tell you everything. He's actually a really extraordinary person, and he's, he, he, was an, he was an overseas missionary. He's got two, like, ground children. He's got two adopted sons. Um, but uh, especially why have we invited him into this space and to in, in this particular important time at Revive? is that he also has a very, very extraordinarily special role in our city. He is the chaplain for the first responders in the city of Sunnyvale. So, so we're talking about he's a chaplain for the police department and the, um, and the fire department in the city of Sunnyvale. So essentially, you know, I'll let him share with you more about what that means. But what that means is he basically gets to be the pastor to our fire department and, and, the, and the firemen in, in our city. And it's an extraordinary opportunity of living out salt and light. And through this, he thinks there are really important ways that we as a church um, can make a difference in our community. And that's why we invited him um, to be interviewed. And so we hope that you will um, enjoy this. So please, please just put on your listening ears and listen not just in your own wisdom but ask the Holy Spirit to help you listen and um, maybe the Lord will open up something in your heart that will lead you to some piece of obedience um, that'll be, that will do extraordinary things in the upcoming, um, in the upcoming uh, weeks and years. Okay? So uh, Jim, would you please come on up? Let me pull this up. Let me... Yeah, we go a little, pull this up a little further. Sure. here. We're have to the, the Q&A. Oh yes. Oh, sorry. Okay. See, excuse, excuse I'm so good at the, all these things. Um, we're gonna have. Um, you see this? You see this email address up here? So um, we're gonna go. I don't know, 20 to 25 minutes or so in this interview, and then we'll stop. And then we're gonna have a Q and A for you, so you can ask Jim the questions that you want. And so. As you're listening, you got an important question that you wanna sh- just shoot that up to your email here. And, um, and then Pastor Young is gonna, you know, he's gonna see those, it's, it's just, he's gonna see your questions and then he'll moderate this time of Q&A. Okay, does that sound good? All right. All right, now we're doing this, Jim. I've never done this before. Um, so Jim, I'm gonna start with um, a pretty, um, just really e- easy question. Um, we don't know what a chaplain is or does. And so would you just start, Jim, by sharing with Revive, like how you came into this role, and then, and then tell us a little bit about what, what it's like? Hmm?
2: Yeah, I uh, often say it's a good thing that you don't know what a chaplain is, because if they hear the word "pastor," they flee. <laughs> so it's been a really kind of a nice, uh, innocuous word that people aren't really sure what a chaplain does. The way I got involved in it is when Trinity moved into this building, they had a very small we had a small building on a large chunk of land when we sold it. We sold it to a developer. The developer had great plans to build the place. And uh, the neighbors were saying, whoa, wait a minute. Nobody told us about this. And um, we realized, oh yeah, that would have been a good idea if we kept our neighbors uh, you know, in, in check and, and told them and communicating with them with what, what our plan was. So we vowed not to be the same church wherever we landed. So when we landed here and bought this building uh, and the land, um, we decided to get very involved in the community. One of the first things I got involved in was something called Challenge Team, which is a a youth advocacy board at the city, and a bunch of nonprofits get together to do things for youth, on behalf of youth. And um, I met a guy named Jose Ramirez there. When we first moved here, we only had enough money to build out the front half of the building, right? so the back half Right there was just dripping with water because the roof was partially caved in. All the copper was missing from the homeless coming in and stripping it all out, and it was you know terrible looking. And uh, he said, "Hey, we lost a we lost a location to have our boxing program. We, do you guys have any space?" And I said, "Well, we have that." <laughs> and so he looked at it and he said, "Sure, yeah, that'll do." So that was the first thing that uh, we kind of did to bridge ourselves with the community. The PAL Boxing Program, Police Athletic League Boxing Program started in the back here uh, in the midst of a bunch of insulation sitting on the floor. And then it grew from there. And it uh, takes kids off the streets, um, out of gangs, and and teaches them discipline, uh, sportsmanship. And um, as I volunteered to become a boxing coach there, uh, the uh, Lieutenant asked me if I'd like to be the chaplain for the city of Sunnyvale. Well, how do you say no to that? So I, I um, prayed about it, of course, and then uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to be your chaplain. So that's how I got involved in being a chaplain for the city of Sunnyvale.
1: So tell us what, um, well, so what does a chaplain do? Tell us what a chaplain does and and uh, kind of like what your job is like. Sure, yeah. So. Uh, my job,
2: uh, number one, is, is primarily to serve the first responders, the police and, and the fire. Um, EMS is county, so the, even though they're all EMSs, the county serves that. So I will, um, I'm on call, 24 hours, uh, to, to go out to calls where they need a chaplain, where, for instance, perhaps there's a domestic violence situation where uh, they need a bridge to the badge and the gun where not everybody relates well to a police officer. And um, w- if I can be a, a guy that seems a little less of a, um, um, uh, le- a less of a, a problem in the in the what's the word I'm trying to think of, um, I don't want to uh, I don't want to be a police officer when I'm there. I want to be someone else, and they recognize that in in me uh, because of my role. And so I'm able to talk to people sometimes that the police officers aren't able to talk with. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll go to suicides and give death notifications and, and uh, homicides, things like that. Uh, they see far more than I do. They just send me out when they think I'm a, I'm, I'm a help, I could be a help. But they see far more of that than I do. I also uh, have the opportunity to talk to people who are in crisis. Um, people who are in trauma, they are open to the idea of God um, because nothing else makes sense around them. Everything's falling down. Around them, and so um, um, sorry, I should probably be talking to you too. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. No, please talk. To me. Uh, that's uh, that's so that's that's part of what I do, and it's a great privilege to be able to introduce Christ to them. Now, as a chaplain, I am a representative of the city. So there's this awkward church-state thing that happens all the time, right? Where I'm, thankfully, I'm not on their payroll, so they don't have sway over me in that uh, in that situation, but. If they ask me about God, I'm a, I'm an open book. We can talk about God, uh, but I, typically with any of the officers, um, it takes a special moment to be able to talk uh, about Christ and about uh, the meaning, morality, destiny, all these big questions uh, that we all ask. You know, where have I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? What what is right
1: and wrong? And why doesn't all of this make sense? So. Um, as I'm listening to you, I, I hear you definitely. Sometimes they see as in, it's actually great for you. It's, it's actually needed that there's this kind of pastoral person to go along on like certain ride-alongs in certain very um, difficult situations. Um, but tell us a little bit about maybe like how do you, how, how do, you do care for, for the police officers or, or the fire? So like tell us a little bit about your reception sure. and like, um, you know, how do, how do they perceive you and how, 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 how do you interact with them?
2: Right. Well, initially my reception was a very cold and nervous reception at the police department because uh, nobody really knew, you know, what, what this chaplain's going to do. You know, is he going to talk to us about Jesus? Is he going to make us uncomfortable? And so my my job going in there was to listen and to just serve. I, I had no greater, no better agenda than that but, but to go in there and do that. Um, I was, I, as I told you and, and young just so saying... Um, I was pretty much nothing more than a figurehead when I first came into the city because they would dress me up nice in this uniform and they have me do a a benediction uh, and a prayer and invocation for either a graduation or a a funeral or a marriage ceremony, something like that. Uh, I was safe there, right? Um, But then uh, one day uh, after doing that for two and a half years, an officer came up to me and he said, chaplain. I really need to talk to you. My marriage has just fallen apart. And I said, okay, Lord, there's something more here. And uh, that's when I really decided to go all in. And um, and I, I really wanted to be able to ask God to use me to speak into these guys' lives. And a lot of the problems are marital. There's a 70% divorce rate among uh, police officers um, because of the, they, they're in this, Thing called hypervigilance. When you go to a job and you come up to a car or you're called, um, it's never, people are never happy to see a police officer uh, because it's in a situation where they have had you know, a crisis that they didn't you know, plan on. And so um, here the police officer shows up. So you're getting negativity all day. Plus, you're not sure if you can trust the person. With all of the, uh, there's a lot of violence that's advocated against police officers. Um, so, imagine 20 years of that. Uh, you go home and you, you, you tried to communicate this to your wife early in your career, but you found out that this, you know, you had to turn off a switch when you went home, so you had to shut down. And in the midst of all of your warrior friends, you, you kind of shut down too because you're supposed to be tough, you're supposed to be hypervigilant, you're supposed to be, uh, you're supposed to be a police officer. And so, um... Uh, it gave me great opportunities on, on ride-alongs, which I do uh, in, the, in the squad car. I'll go along with some guys after I, I sit in on briefings. And we're able to discuss these things, marriage and the difficult, the difficult things of life. Um, and it's a great privilege. Did I answer your question?
1: Yeah, I think so. So like part one is like you get to be um, a resource for them when they, because I mean, their life is just so filled with stress and difficulty. Yeah, and then yeah. it of course, spills into there into their marriage life, but, like, I have a question for you. How about, do you get to decide who who you get to ride along? I mean, like, how much, tell us a little bit about, like, you know, it's unclear to me and probably to most of us, like, um, how does that work out? Like, does a lieutenant tell you where to go on a yeah, given day? Or, like, what? tell us a little bit about what your days are like. Good right. question, yeah. So
2: if I sit on an unbriefing, which is kind of the day's download of what happened last night and what you guys are going into is what he will tell the, the, the team. Uh, if I sit in on that, if the lieutenant is discerning, then he'll know of an officer who's been through some stuff. And then I, he, he'll usually assign me with that officer to go along on a ride-along. Um, I don't know if they've picked it up or not, if they've picked up on it, but um, the, the guys who, um, who I, I sit in their squad car, it takes a little while to warm up, but once we get a good conversation going, it, it's usually, a, that's their office, you know, and I'm invited into their office. So I try to be uh, gracious and uh, empathize with their situation and, and their office space. Um, Debriefs are another time we get together after a, a crime has occurred or a, some some scene has happened. Where uh, PTSD is very common among first responders because they see a lot of violence, they see a lot of blood, they see a lot of uh, trauma, and so if they don't download somehow, this stuff just piles up inside, and um, and it can negatively affect their their personal life as well as their as their uh, their professional life. So I'm able to. Um, Sit in with these guys and, and have a debrief after after big calls or
1: um, intense 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 calls. I see. Yeah. Um, let, let me let you, you 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 mentioned this in passing a little while ago about like how you're not on the payroll, of the city, and right. so um, that's I'm sure going to be one of the questions. And so let's let's hit on that. Can you tell us a little bit about um, well how do you get paid and then who do you answer to since you know, we have this, you know, separation of church and state issues. Good. So can you just just share with us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, they, so the the chaplain's a volunteer position, as many positions of the, the department are. And um, I, so not being on payroll has its advantages because you are uh, not under the scrutiny that some uh, employer, employees are, other police officers. So I kind of am the kind of the wild uh, card. You know, I get to move around through offices and stuff like that that other people don't go into. Um, I, I am paid because I'm, uh, I raise my own support as a chaplain. I'm a local missionary, and I belong to a, a, a missionary organization called In Faith. And so they're a 200-year-old missionary, mission organization that does uh, domestic missions here in the United States. In fact, they're the first organization that coined the term Sunday School. Believe it or not, they were taking kids out of the labor movement and putting them, taking them into programs on Sundays to be able to get them out of work. And that's where the term, they coined the phrase uh, Sunday School. So uh, I raise support for that. And um, there, there's a lot of scrutiny from the department, from upstream, from downstream, from the public, from the media. And I can kind of circumvent all that as a chaplain. They don't really—they're not that interested in me. So, <laughs> it's kind of a a benefit to not being hmm. on payroll.
1: Okay, I see. Yeah. Um, you said that you were talking that you you go on these ride-alongs, and then sometimes, so it makes sense to me that you get get a chance to do essentially do care. I mean, like, I don't imagine you know cops are the you know the first guys to want to go to therapy or something like that. So you get to be, they're like. They, maybe in the old days they would have gone to their pastor or priest, but so it's good that you know they have somebody they like they can turn to. But um, what, how does this role say? Can you give us an example when you're on a ride along um, where you get to interface where they think it's important of your role as a chaplain and you get to interface with the public in some sense? You know, somebody you know, like you said that sometimes they're not happy to see the policeman or something like that, and you you get they it's important that you're there. Can you give us an example or two of like something that you've seen and gone through where it's something more like that?
2: Yeah, so, um, so I was... Uh, my, probably my, my first big dive into that is I was called to a suicide one time. There was a young boy, 19 years old, who had taken his life. And the parents were obviously devastated. And um, in a situation like that, it's still considered a crime scene. And you have to... Keep the parents separate from their child's body until the coroner is done with their investigation. Very awkward,
1: especially
2: mm. since the coroner took three hours to get there. Wow. So what do you do with parents who are just beside themselves? They want to see their son. Uh, the police officers aren't letting them see their son. They're both in the same house. They can't go outside. You know, what, what do you do? And, and that was crazy. Um, hmm. but there were, there were times where they said, go ahead, chaplain, you know, do your thing. And I'm <laughs> going, uh, what do I do? <laughs> and just after praying quickly, you know, I sat down and I started asking them, we, I started talking about the elephant in the room, their son. And, uh, I talked to, talked to, talked about him in the past tense to start getting the sense of, yeah, we've lost him. Uh, and so, uh, talking about their faith and, and how their faith interacts with, um, with the loss of their son, being able to talk to them about God uh, at that point, and kind of setting helps help setting the stage for this great loss that they've just experienced that they're experiencing uh, in the process, and that was very helpful. From the the officers told me uh, having having me at that scene. Another time, there was a um, a Vietnam vet uh, who was obviously uh, very distraught uh, and on drugs, and they couldn't talk to him. And, uh, and I, I talked to him, and I said, do you, have, what, do you have any faith? And there. of course, the police officers don't go there. Right. And he said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I said, well, let's talk about that. And so I was able to uh, bridge uh, a gap that, that the police couldn't in that instance. And it, so I was a blessing. It was a blessing. And then he was able to put his arms behind his back and, and get arrested and stop uh, throwing syringes at us. <laughs> mm. So, mm. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, so those are a couple of examples where
2: um, um, it comes in handy. Your
1: life seems uh, very complicated <laughs> and uh, even, even kind of dangerous, um, but also super amazing and exciting. Um, you, Jim, you and I, when we've talked, uh, you shared some, um, in some ways that you think that, uh, so just maybe just share with you a little bit. Revive, when we came into the into into Trinity's, you know, into their in building, Jim shot me an email and said, hey, can we get together for some coffee? And um, so we've already kind of, he had kind of like some, so, so he has some dreams and some visions about like maybe how we as a church could make a difference. So Jim, could you like maybe share with us a little bit about ways you see so many different things and you're in this, such this incredible um, place where you know, like there's a lot of pain and suffering and problems and from like on the public side, but, you know, on the, on the public sector side, but you're not really part of the government. Um, could you share with us like maybe some of the, your thoughts about um, where you'd like to see how the church could make a difference? For sure, yeah. Hmm?
2: Yeah. Um, so typically when people uh, run into problems uh, or incidences, um, let's say they have uh, a kid who's just had an epileptic seizure on the floor and, you know, well, he's okay. They've stabilized him. Before they walk away, they hand him a resource list from the county and, uh, hey, you might want to check, uh, check this resource out to, to see if you, you know, want to engage with other parents or something like that. There's a, there's a limit to those because most of those county agencies uh, don't have an eternal perspective. They don't give the person any hope beyond the incident, beyond our, you know, carnal lives, right? The church... The church, friends, has the answer to that. Have the, we have the answer of Jesus Christ. And so I, I began to, God started to impress upon me, wouldn't it be great to have a resource list of churches who have sweet spots? Let's say, let's say there's a, a Baptist church over in Lakeview that uh, has a really good 12-step program. Uh, wouldn't it be great to, to have a list ready to have a website and a number available and a contact name for a person over in Lakeview. Let's say somebody else in uh, southern uh, Sunnyvale uh, has a great uh, daycare center for kids that's free for parents who are working or single moms who are working. Wouldn't it be great as a resource list to have that church available? And so to be able to develop a, um, a network of churches so we can be the big C church, uh, to be able to serve our community in that way. Um, that's one of the dreams I have that I'm working on, and talking to some pastors, including you, saying about what we can do to be more of
1: the Big Sea Church here in Sunnyvale. So, g- can you give give us like maybe like one like concrete example of like um, a situation that you you were in and you were thinking, okay, maybe here's the county, here's what the county would might offer or the state might offer, but. I wish yeah. there was a church, and then you and then you were, you had a church that you could you could help um, you could turn and and introduce these people to, and and, and it was and made a big difference. Can you give us an example?
2: Yeah. So there was a um, there was a, a couple that was involved in a domestic violence uh, case with their kids, and so the father was arrested. Um, the 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 parents, you know, the uh, the family had an interview, and they were separated. and so he was let out a couple days later. They were given a resource, which was um, a county resource for, you know, marriage enrichment. Um, but, um, and so th- they took it and um, they went to the class. Um, but uh, it was for three, uh, three weeks. It was three weeks long. They had to go two nights a week, I think. And then after that, there wasn't any follow-up. There was nothing, you know, to help them or encourage them to keep going. And so um, the parent project, by comparison, is something that we've done here at Trinity that uh, churches do in the Silicon Valley. that takes parents who are involved in those kind of situations and walks them through at a church uh, not only um, what being a good parent is like, but how to restore your marriage, the biblical view of restoring your marriage, and what reconciliation really is like, the whole idea of forgiveness, and um, walking alongside some people who have been there who have mentored them through it uh, in a church. And so uh, to be able to see a couple do that uh, and be restored uh, as a couple, rather than the other couple as far as I know, never they ended up getting a divorce. Not saying that it will always work that way because if we're really honest, we see a lot of divorce in the church too. But it was a great example
1: of how the church can be the church. Mm. Sounds great. Um, may we're getting tight on time here. Let me just mm, ask yeah. a, one more question. Just tell us a, a little bit about like, um, the police or like the government's perception of churches. And, um, you know, is there a way, I don't imagine it's, they'd have the, the, the highest perception of us. Right. And, um, I don't know, maybe that's the wrong, maybe you could, you could disagree there, but tell us a way that, um, you know, like, cause that we can maybe just have a um, work better along with the government or gain trust with the government? Tell, tell us what you, what you see there, right?
2: Well, when I first walked in as a chaplain, they were terrified of me. Me. Imagine that. Um, they, they were, you know, they, they thought I'd be a loose cannon talking about Jesus. And I do love to talk about Jesus, but I only do it under the right, the circumstances of the Holy Spirit moves me, right? Otherwise, I am here to represent the city, and I'm a city representative, Okay. So um, it took about three years for that wall to come down, the wall of trust. And then once that was breached, um, God really opened up some great opportunities. Um, the, ch- the, the church, I think, has just been instilled in people in the city that there's, you never, you never do church-state things, right? They've always got to be separate. There's no fellowship the two can have together. But that's absolutely wrong. I mean, some of the best things ever started, like the Prison Fellowship Ministry, the YMCA, I mean, you name it, you know, most of our major universities in our history were started by Christians for the good of the public. And it always benefited the uh, government at that point because it helped, um, what did it do? It helped, I think, God's Spirit move through people not only to love Him, but to love one another and be good citizens. And that's one thing I believe the church is in the prime position to do
1: is to model that well. So um, you said it took you about three years to breach this, like they don't trust it. They didn't trust you. Yeah. What, what could churches like us, I mean, do, um, a local church like us do to just gain a little bit, like, do the, will they trust us? I mean, like, how, how, what, is there anything we could do or be that could like make a little difference in yeah. the perception of, of the government or like the police department to us? Sure,
2: uh, it's it's uh, knocking on the door and, 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 and showing interest. It's um, uh, it's listening, and it's being present. We don't have to. It's amazing, Christians. We don't really have to say a lot. The Holy Spirit really works through us uh, in amazing ways when we're willing to listen to Him. Honestly, I would say sixty percent of my job is listening, mm-hmm. uh, being with people and listening to them pour out their hearts, uh, tell me how they. they you know, their issues and and, and letting their guard down. If we can do that well and serve well, um, I believe the city is all in and and willing to to work
1: with us. I really do. All right. Um, Let's uh, take it over to your questions, guys. So I'm going to let Young come up here and uh, moderate this next portion. And um, you you guys got your questions time, okay?
0: Yeah, so... um so far, we got three questions. One of them, very, very pressing question. If uh, this is, I won't say who it's from, if I got a speeding ticket, would you be able to help me? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'll let you take that off the air. OK, I'll take- <laughs> um, Here was another question. You are a chaplain in a city where many of the residents um, come from Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist right. backgrounds. Yeah, how do you work um, you know, your Christian faith yeah. into, into, into those contexts in your line of work?
2: I'll give you a quick example. Uh, two months ago, eight weeks ago, we had an incident where a, uh, a driver mowed down eight people on the corner of Sunnyvale, Saratoga, and, um, and, and El Camino. The uh, people that were mowed down, they were, the driver thought they were Muslim. Of course, he was on his way to a Bible study. Go figure that out. But they were Indian, so Hindu, Indian Hindus. Uh, The other guy that got hit was uh, a Buddhist from China, Uh, lives in, works and lives in uh, Canada at the time. The other two were, um, these four are still in the hospital right now, Uh, was a couple who had been on vacation from Germany just coming. And as far as I know, they're atheists. So what do you do in a situation like that? Well, my job as a chaplain, if if I see people... um, In trauma, first I ask them what their faith is, and I will try to connect them to a body, uh, a church, or uh, uh, a church or a a body of believers that that of their faith, of their faith background. It could be a mosque, it could be um, a Jewish temple, and uh, that's my goal. My my second goal in that is to show the love of Christ in the way that I do it. So, yes. uh, So uh, while in the waiting room at the hospital, I was able to pray with uh, a Buddhist and a Muslim uh, in separate occasions. One of the comments after the prayers, uh, and I attribute this all to the Holy Spirit, guys, I'm not shining the light on me, was, um, do you think God heard that prayer? That was from the the Hindu guy. And I said, I know he did. He said, that's the kind of God I need to believe in. Uh, the the Buddhist uh, gentleman uh, Ping Lu uh, told me uh, that was a that was a beautiful prayer. Do you, do you do you believe in God? Because he doesn't believe in God. He thinks of, he believes in a, a life essence that that drives him. I said, uh, Yes, I believe in God. He says, uh, I think I need to believe in God. And so it's this ongoing conversation. Neither of them have become believers, but it's so wonderful being able to just be in a situation where you can open up the conversation and talk about faith. It's a great opportunity. I think all of us should do it more often. I think I should do it more often. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you're, you're dodging the syringes, so... Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah <you got. laughs> um, kind of a, a follow-up, um, as I'm just listening to that. Um, you know, a lot of the... the uh, uh, fears that we have you know Christians have in in sharing about their faith is um, just kind of the awkwardness right of, of having a spiritual conversation. In your line of work, I mean that is your job like having conversations. Could you give us a couple of tips on how do you kind of overcome that awkwardness? How do you start this like a, a spiritual kind of conversation? How do you how do you get into that?
2: So we all have our formulas. My formula <laughs> is this. <laughs> hey, uh, notes. It, a couple of them. I have kind of two things I go to. One, I typically ask them about their hobbies and then uh, when they tell me what their hobbies are, I say, well that's, that's really interesting because what a person does and who a person is are separate things, wouldn't you agree? And that kind of opens things up uh, to the possibility of the conversation going elsewhere. Like, do you really find meaning in work? What, what do you find meaning in and, and what gives you meaning, right? Mm-hmm. So that those are you know I, I also find that tattoos and scars are great conversation starters because it tells me something about and you have to obviously be a little bit discerning with the scars. Um, it tells you something about the person when they when they share about what the tattoo means, where the scar came from. Uh, and then the last thing is that the first thing you want you will get from a combatant um, non-believer is. Oh, those Christians, they're so judgmental, they're so this, they're so that. And I'll say, okay, great, let's sidestep Christ- the Christians for a minute. What do you think about Jesus? And that is the bottom line, right? That's what we're really supposed to be talking about. Because you and I, we can't, we can't be responsible for all the negative impact Christianity has had on the world, but what we can do is we can share who Jesus was. Well, yeah, you may think Christians are like that, but I see a different. I see a different Jesus in the scriptures. So it's a, it's a great way to kind of go around and get to the heart of the matter, instead of being argumentative.
0: Those are really great questions that you have, and um, very, very helpful. Um, let's see. Um, has there been a time, a specific situation where you were just kind of discouraged in your job as a, as a chaplain.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you see, there are seasons where you'll have like a lot of calls that are not v- very pretty. And uh, it just, it gave me something I, that I've termed compassion fatigue. So I needed to take a break uh, from it for a little bit and just uh, get, some good fellowship with some other, like, chaplains that I know who have been through similar things where we support each other, some pastors that I know. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's easy to, to get compassion fatigue far more for first responders. It's easy for them to stay very sterile and do their job uh, in what they do and, and, and kind of lose their heart a little bit. And you find that
0: just being around other like-minded like-hearted people with shared experience, like other chaplains that kind of yeah, helps, helps you get out deal. of that.
2: And helps a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: I guess the application there would be for us. I mean, obviously we don't have a room full of chaplains here, but, um, other believers in your workplace, yeah, obviously absolutely. your church, yeah. finding support yeah. in your church, small groups and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Okay. Um, let's see, maybe two more questions. Uh, I can't get to all of them. All of a sudden, we have a whole bunch because I said we have two more questions. Who Of course, no. So we're not going to get to all of them, guys. But um, how about this one? Um, as you think about the beginnings of how uh, you know God was using you to be salt and light in your community, um, how identify maybe... A few, a couple things that um, that could help other people take steps um, in their own, you know, relationship with the Lord to to respond to that call to be salt and light.
2: Good, good, great question. Thank you. Um, I would say that in my walk as a chaplain, God cracked open a door and He said, "Okay, walk through this," and I walked through it. And then, you know, he let me linger there for a while and then another door opened up and I was able to walk through that. And as tried to be obedient to the call, not imperfect, believe me, imperfectly, I made a lot of mistakes in the process, but being willing to walk through the door that God's shown you to walk through. And then I can see six years later that if I had seen where I am now six years ago, I would have never done it. <laughs> I would have been terrified. There's no way I could do that, right? Isn't that what we often think? But then we forget who's really behind the wheel, right? The Holy Spirit's really behind the wheel driving it. So you know, in our weakness, in our, uh, in our humanity, we have the opportunity to do some incredible things by the power of God. Yeah, a little old us, right, in this, in this skin that we have. And um, God's just waiting for us to respond, I think.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Waiting for us to respond. It's, uh... um, all right. Last question. Um, you you shared about the the case with the the, the parents and the suicide. Um, can you share maybe another intense case where you know that you encountered, and how did you just how did you rely on God in that situation? Because I think a lot of um, you know a lot of our people probably will not face something like that, but something similar where they have a friend or you know, a loved one who goes through a very difficult loss or something like that. And maybe they can learn something from how you depend on God in those crisis situations.
2: Yeah. Um, the, first, uh, the first few calls I went on, I, I began to kind of understand the protocol at a, at a crime scene. And then one of the ride-alongs that I uh, was on, and I won't say if it was Mountain View or Palo Alto or Sunnyvale because we share discipline sometimes between the chaplains, but it was the first time an officer ever told me that he was interested in taking his life. And that was kind of a a different, that was a different mindset, right? Um, And so that really challenged me and I I responded uh, the way you're supposed to, you know, means, method. Things like asking him very specific questions about uh, what his plans were, how, how he was going to do it, and um, of course, it it's a, it was a violent end. Um, and and thankfully, uh, he never did it. Mm. But I that was I was scared. That's I, I became very scared because I felt as though this guy was under my care, yeah. right? As a chaplain, boy, this is one of my guys, right? I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be engaging with, and I've never heard him say this before. And it really blindsided me.
0: What a burden, yeah.
2: Yeah, so and it was a burden. And uh, now I can say he's never taken his life. He's happily married. And, wow. Um, because he made some really good choices that we encouraged him to make. Okay. Yeah. Amen.
0: Praise the Lord. Well, uh, that wraps up, I think, our Q&A time.
1: Uh, let's, um, wanna, well, Alina, I want to give you one more word. Jim, is there something, like, you know, this, this is uh, your time to speak to Revive, is there something that you would like, any kind of word, I know that I'm just kind of putting you on this, a word that you'd like to share to either our church, maybe it's something, a word that you wish you could say to like numerous churches, like how we can make, make a difference. I, I'm, well, I, I just want to just give you freedom to say what you want to say to us that you think would help us to follow Jesus and make a difference in the community.
2: Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and you incidentally, for the Lord God has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring freedom to the prisoners and liberty to the captives, to proclaim the joyful day, uh, year of our Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God. There's truth and grace there. (laughs) Comforting those who mourn, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of faintheartedness. Then, listen to what happens, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Then, they, we, will rebuild the ancient ruins. We will lift up the former devastations. We will rebuild the ancient cities, the desolation of many generations. That's the power we have with Jesus Christ at the helm as a church for the people around us. Intergenerational sin eliminated, erased because of the power mm-hmm. of
1: God. All right, um, let's give Jim a hand. You said I'm gonna um, let me lead us in a in a little time of prayer, and then um, and then we'll 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 have a time of response. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot that you guys have learned, and um, and uh, during the time of response, I want to encourage you, just let everything that's, that the Lord is maybe seated in your heart. Maybe it's going to just, I don't know, Just maybe it just opened your eyes. I don't know what it, the Lord did. But let's take a chance right now. I'm gonna, I want us to lead us in a time to pray for Jim. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. pray for Jim. Lord, I thank you for this dear and incredible brother, Jim Aslan. Um, in many ways, he looks like an ordinary guy, <laughs> but there's nothing ordinary about him. He is an extraordinary man. Uh, when I think of someone like Jim, I actually think about holiness. That's, that's what I think about. I think Christ-likeness. Um, Lord, I pray that um, the Christ in him would shine very, very brightly. Mm-hmm. And many, many people, I know so many people, they run, run away from you But when they, I think if they would actually meet the real you, Jesus, they would run towards you. Mm -hmm. Because they would say, he's very strange. He repels the religious (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the hypocritical, but the hurting and the need for people who are longing for joy and hope and forgiveness, they run to him. And I thank Jesus, Lord, that you made Jim like you. (laughs) And in a time and so many special places, where people need someone like you. You have put Jim into this very important space. Would you bless this dear brother? Would you empower this brother? Would you, would you always have his back in the city? <laughs> Powerful people would say, no, 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 get off Jim's back. That guy is really, really needed. Would you, um, his bosses in the police department, they would say, are you kidding? If uh, anybody were to ever push Jim out, you know, we'd have a lot more police officers who would break down and who would quit, and our city would be a more dangerous place. I pray, Lord, that uh, many would pray for Jim, that revived people would pray for Jim, that our, we would pray for him. I pray that uh, many would support Jim. They would say, I want to give money to a missionary like that because, man, we need missionaries like that. And I want to pray, Lord, that. We would, in our own ways, maybe we won't be chaplains, but we would be partners for chaplains. Mm. That we would be the church, not just in the four walls of this building, but we would be the church in Santa Clara, in Sunnyvale, mm. in the joys, and especially in the morning, Lord. And so Jim would say, Our city is filled with the church, mm. and revive is among them. Yes. And we are being salty, we're being light. We pray for that. Be exalted be magnified, be glorified, and will the people of our city be blessed as we walk with Jim and be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.